Barry, I didn't mean to spring that on you in the last second. So. So I had intended to preach on First uh, John 4, 1 to 6, but um, uh, just praying on it and thinking through it, and as I started, uh, just God kind of led me to preach on the end of chapter 3, and uh, it just couldn't get to chapter 4, 1 through 6 if we didn't preach on the end of chapter 3, which I didn't get to last time. There was just too much at the end of chapter 3. I had grand ambitions, but I just couldn't get through it all last time, so... Let's, um, let's open with a word of prayer. So, Father God, I thank you so much for this time together. Lord, I ask that you would just open our hearts and minds to what you have for us this morning and that you would close our ears to any error that I may speak. And, Father, as we ponder the ministry of the Holy Spirit this morning, as we ponder the ministry of what that means, or excuse me, of what that means in our lives, in our hearts, and, um, and really what it means to operate in the Holy Spirit, Father, I ask that you would that you would show us, that you would show us what this disciple has to teach us, what, what, um, what the last of the living disciples, or at least that we know of, the last of the living ones at this point, uh, had to teach us, uh, the, the, uh, St. John, Lord. Lord, he was old and he was wise at this point. Uh, he had lived a long time. He had seen so much. Father, I pray that you would, um, that you would expose what we are thinking on this subject, Lord, if we haven't thought on this subject, that you would help us to think for the first time this week on it, to ponder it, to wrestle with it, to pray on it. Lord, that you would make your spirit real to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I was reading this quote by Herschel Hobbes, and uh, he said this, the New Testament speaks of Christians uh, both being indwelt and filled by the Holy Spirit. Now there's a difference between the two. Through its wiring system, a building may be indwelt by electricity. It's filled with the power only if it's allowed to work through the electrical appliances, light bulbs, motors, and the like. At the moment of regeneration, the Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. See John 14, 17. But the individual is filled by the Spirit when he yields his life to the Spirit's direction and power. If you wish to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you must yield your body, your total self to him, that he might work in and through you. Do you agree with this statement? Do you think Mr. Hobbes knows of what he is speaking? We're going to look at that this morning and see if he was accurate or not, or if maybe there's another way to put it. So with that said, let's turn to 1 John, and uh, what we were reading was the very end of 1 John, and in particular, last week we left off looking at why God doesn't always answer a prayer. Now that's a tough thing, and, and we were talking about why God doesn't always answer a prayer, and what we really meant by that is, well, what God, He does answer prayer, but what we often mean by God doesn't answer a prayer is when God says no or wait. We human beings don't like the answer no. I think that we understand that uh, innately when we watch our little two-year-olds. They don't like no, right? We don't, we don't, we don't want a cookie or we, we don't get our cookie. We kind of scream and we pout and we throw ourselves on the floor, but we think that as adults we have matured past that. 
And yet so often when we don't get what we want from the Lord, we throw a temper tantrum in our, of our own, in our own minds. And I don't know if you've caught yourself doing that, uh, but you probably have, and I have certainly. We, we don't get that thing that we want, and so we're mad at God. I'll never forget listening to a, a rather famous atheist. I forget which he was at the particular time because I've listened to so many of them, but he was an author, and they were asking him, why was he an atheist? And he said, well, my father died coming home from World War II. It's like, well, what? they were like, what, what in the world? Why would that make you an atheist? And he said, well, he, he fought all the way through World War II. He went through all of those battles. He was an Australian. And he said he went through all of those battles, and he made it through everything. And I was a young boy, and he was flying home at the end of the war, and his plane crashed in the ocean. And he said... Man, how could God be so callous to allow a thing like that to happen? There must be no God. And I've thought, wow, what a fascinating way to view things. Because last I checked, 100% of us died. And you understand a boy thinking like that, but a grown man thinking like that. We all are going to die, but he had no concept of the eternal, no concept of beyond the here. And now, now that's common for an atheist, right? They don't have a concept of beyond the here and now. But God would be cruel if something like that happened. We have this answer sometimes when God says no or God says wait. We don't get the answer we want. And so we shake our fist at the sky and we don't think he's there. And so what happens when God says no? And we looked at that last week. And so if you missed that sermon, I encourage you to go back and listen to that and think on it and pray on it. We're going to skip the next section, which talks about God's love. Now, we've talked about God's love throughout uh, 1 John. This epistle talks about it quite a bit. But we're actually going to hit the same thing that's covered here. We're going to hit that quite a bit as we move on. So John's going to talk about that in the next chapter. So I want to wait until we get to that passage in the next chapter. So what I want to study today is 1 John 3, 24. 1 John 3, 24. And this is what we need to lay the groundwork if we're going to study next week's, but also the Lord just kind of unpacked this one for me for y'all this week. So, and by this, we know that he abides in us. And remember, abiding in the Greek here is dwelling, indwells, lives within us. He abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given, or whom he has given us. Whew. Man, I'm tongue-tied today. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Notice that the Holy Spirit then here is the mark of Jesus indwelling us or abiding within us. Hmm. Now, this is a bit of a surprise, depending on what kind of Christian background you have. A lot of Christians think that Christianity, and and I've run into them, will think that Christianity is an intellectual assent. In other words, it's faith in a particular set of doctrines. If I want to believe in Jesus, I need to, I need to really have some kind of belief. I, I read scriptures, I walk up the aisle, I place my faith in Jesus, and then I assent or I believe in the subset of doctrines, right? So I went to a really good seminary, and there was a subset of people called the TRs, the Truly Reformed, And what they would do there is they had like this really rigorous document, the Westminster Confession of Faith. It came from uh, the 39 Articles, which, you know, is 
the, just the genesis of all true doctrine. Anyway, sorry. No, the, that's, that's our Anglican document. So, um, the, the, um, which actually Methodist came from and then other, anyway. So, uh, so uh, the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is about this thick, explaining every detail of all kinds of faith. And so they would have a particular understanding of the Westminster Confession of Faith, not even understanding that that has a particular understanding of the Holy Spirit that they kind of uh, kind of brush under the rug. Um, but anyway, and they would argue over this. And what they what the, for them the faith then was an assent to the doctrine, and they wanted to memorize and think about the doctrine and learn the doctrine, but they wanted to have this mental assent to the faith, and that for them was faith in particular. And a lot of Christians hold this, and so they might think that if I'm going to place my faith in Jesus, I need to have this, um, this mental ascent, this mental faith in him, and then I might need to be baptized. I might need to have Eucharist, but that's pretty much what I think. Others think that we receive Jesus through the sacraments, through the church and baptism and Eucharist. So we need to have this big ceremony, the ceremonies of the church. We need to have fancy liturgy, uh, fancy outfits, we need to have incense, we need to have um, uh, fancy communion, we need to have, or Eucharist, or maybe we don't even need to be fancy in all those things, but that is where we receive the Spirit. And so uh, one person I had wanted to uh, leave the church, uh, <laughs> to leave uh, our church, because he said, look, I need to go to a church where I can worship the bread and the wine and bow down to it, because I've reached a point in my faith where I need a tangible a, a, a touch and feel. I need to be able to touch and feel Jesus. And so I needed to worship the bread and the wine. And in fact, I have uh, some friends uh, I know that go and they sit at a, at a particular church and they go and they sit with the bread and the wine so that Jesus is never left alone. And so some people feel like this is placing faith in Jesus. But we don't, and then other believers think that we come to faith by receiving Jesus or by placing our faith in Jesus, but that we don't receive the Holy Spirit at that point. Rather, we gain the Holy Spirit through an experience called baptism with the Holy Spirit like we did at Pentecost. This would be a a secondary experience where we pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. So we were saved. There was no Holy Spirit when we were saved. And then we pray for this second experience like at Pentecost or like at the household of Cornelius or like in Samaria or like Jesus had when he went for baptism with John, right? John the Baptist. And in this second experience is where we would get the Holy Spirit. So this is another uh, thing that some people would say. And so they would say, no, we're saved when we place our faith, but we don't really get this indwelling of the Spirit except by this other experience. And the problem with all three of these views is that none really match Holy Scripture as we read it in the passages here in 1 John and other passages. Here it says this. Notice what it says. That Jesus abides in us, ek, E-K, Epsilon, Kappa, through the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the one indwelling us, right? When we come to faith, the Holy Spirit fills us, and Jesus indwells us through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, technically speaking, is at the right hand of God after the ascension, and then he leaves us a comforter. That comforter indwells us. So when you put your faith in Jesus, when you really turn to him and give your life to him, it's the Holy Spirit that indwells us. Listen to Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. And in Jesus, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until you acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So where were you saved? When you were saved, you received the Holy Spirit who seals you, right? He seals you. So at the moment of salvation, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. He describes the same thing that John does in our passage, the arrival of the Holy Spirit upon salvation, not through the sacraments, not through the mass, not through intellectual assent. And this is what we see both described by Jesus and by the apostles and acts and the epistles and the early church. So Romans 10, 14 to 17 says this, a very interesting passage. How then will they call on, on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So faith doesn't come to us through the sacraments. We're not saved through baptism itself, the splashing up on water without faith. So there are other ways, and there's some technical things that I could talk about if you were mentally uh, unable to do it. or Anyway, we won't talk about that. But ordinarily, you are saved through the preaching of the word, through hearing, through the proclaiming of the word, through people sharing the gospel with you, and you receive that, and then you place your faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit works upon you at that moment, and then the Holy Spirit, when you receive, when you repent, when you turn, the Holy Spirit enters you. The Holy Spirit's already done His work to bring you to that point. But the Holy Spirit enters you, changes you, and you are sealed. You are saved. You are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And this makes it then more than an intellectual assent. You cannot be saved if you are not indwelled by the Holy Spirit. All right? And so to my TR friends and those at seminary, I would say, wait a minute. According to Romans, you have the Holy Spirit within you. So how, how can you live this way and not have the Spirit guiding you or directing you or leading you? Very interesting passage. We read this here. So, well, let me go to this part first. The Holy Spirit is first sent in this capacity in Judea and then Samaria and then upon the household of Cornelius, representing the Holy Spirit falling upon the Jews and then the Samaritans and then the Gentiles, which is exactly what Jesus says is going to happen. But then it doesn't happen like that again. You need to understand that that kind of falling, are, they're kind of like one-off experiences. After that, as we read in Acts 19, salvation and the Holy Spirit seem to fall at the same time. Right? Right? So the Holy Spirit came roughly at the same time. All those three experiences are roughly at the same time. But anyway, but the Holy Spirit falls 
the apostles need to see that the Holy Spirit has fallen upon the Samaritans because, after all, who can believe that Samaritans are saved if you were Jewish at that day, right? They were unclean. And then certainly, who can believe that the Romans are going to be saved if you were Jewish? And yet all of these things happen just like Jesus said, right? But then after that, it's ordinary that the Spirit falls at the same time of salvation. Romans 8, 9 through 11 says it this way. You, however, are not in the, of the flesh, but of the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Again, no salvation without the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, right? Which means that we as Christians have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. So a lot of people will say, how, Jeff, do I know that I am, I am saved? I say, look inward. Do you have the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling you? Are you led, guided, directed by the power of the Holy Spirit? This is why Paul gives us these markers. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? Love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are you growing in these things? These things are all internal transformations. The Spirit is internal. You have become a temple of the Holy Spirit. He should be internally transforming you. These are markers. Love becomes the marker that is the most important in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Even more important than all the other spiritual gifts, love is the most important. Why? That is the internal transformation. The other gifts are going to disappear, but faith, hope, and love. But what's the most important? Love. All the other spiritual gifts pale in comparison to what? Love. Internal transformation. That's what the Spirit is there to do, to transform you from the in side out. Are you letting the Holy Spirit work within you to transform you from the inside out? So you cannot be saved and not have the Holy Spirit within you, and, and there is not a second baptizing with the Holy Spirit even where you receive, where, where you receive the Holy Spirit, Right? So there's not a second time. You didn't get saved and not have the Holy Spirit, right? That's something that some people teach, and that's an erroneous teaching too. You simply cannot be saved and not have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. It's absolutely vital that Christians understand this teaching because it helps you avoid the errors that form the basis for the understanding of the next section. You can't understand 1 John chapter 4 without this, especially the first part of it. So in our denomination, here's what I see. Every denomination has its own challenges. I'm not going ch- to talk to other denominational challenges. We all have our challenges. But I see Anglicans looking to proper ritual to bring us to a proper spirituality apart from God, right? So everyone's got their own pride, their own their own way of doing things, right? So I see people doing this all the time. I see people proud of the way that they are doing things. So non-denoms will say, wow, I don't need liturgy because we do it better. 
And Baptists will say, I don't need this because we do it better. And Roman Catholics will say, I don't do this because we do it better. Whatever you're in, there's always a subset of people that confuse the method for spirituality apart from the interaction of the Holy Spirit within them. Right? So without the Holy Spirit acting within you, the method is empty and void. However, with the Holy Spirit within you, the methods are filled with life. Correct? That's what, that's what I'm saying here. And that's what we know from history. And that's what we know from our fathers before us, our mothers and fathers in the faith. So I see some Anglicans looking to this proper ritual to bring us a proper spirituality without the Spirit within them. I see some looking to intellectualism to bring salvation, and I see others thinking that without the charismatic gifts and worship, we cannot truly be saved. I've, run, I've been in all of these circles my whole life, and all of these are false teachings and destructive. Liturgy is helpful. It is. Liturgy's been around for 2,000 years. I, I, I hear people tell me, ah, I don't need liturgy, whatever. Liturgy's been around longer than you've been around. Liturgy's been practiced by hundreds of millions and probably billions of Christians at this point. Liturgy, you don't judge liturgy. Liturgy judges you, right? How do you know good? Right? At, at this point, it's just beyond the pale. Like, it's beyond question. We know it because our ancestors and our ancestors and our ancestors' ancestors have done it. Now, you may not particularly find it helpful and want to do something else, and that's fine. There's other methods of doing things. But, right, we all want to say our way of doing things is the best. But liturgy is certainly a, a, a way that's very helpful. We know this because the Psalms are liturgy, and the Hebrews used to use liturgy. So liturgy can be helpful. You don't have to use it. There are other ways of being holy and spiritual. Just because you're in a non-liturgical church doesn't make it a bad church, and just because you're in a liturgical church doesn't make it a good church. So that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying this. Without the Holy Spirit, ritual isn't helpful, and with the Holy Spirit, ritual can be helpful. But many confuse personal preference with actual Anglican teaching. And this is what I want to speak to Anglicans about. And you can apply it to other areas if you want. But I talk to clergy and parishioners all the time who make this error, right? Just, just spoke with uh, a person this week about this. And for them, unless worship was done in a particular way, it wasn't really truly Anglican, right? I need to ring bells or have whatever, it was just something that impressed upon this particular person. But it wasn't truly Anglican. And what the person meant, or what the person they were talking about missed, was this. They just simply missed this. We're about Jesus. We're about bringing Jesus to the masses. We're about sharing faith, and we are called to do that. But we're also called to worship God. In whatever way your church is worshiping God, that's what you need to be about. And we need to not be so much about our own personal preferences. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are indeed taught and encouraged in the ACNA, 
And living in the Spirit should be a way of life for all believers. This is another thing. But sadly, it's not. But the gifts of the Spirit are more than simply the charismata. Do you know what I'm talking about by the charismata? How many of you have heard of the gifts of the Spirit? Heard of the gifts of the Spirit? When I say the gifts of the Spirit, what do you think? Huh? What do you think when they say the gifts of the Spirit? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Prophecy? What else? Discernment? What else? Tongues? Teaching? Good. All right, there you go. What else? Anything else? Interpreting of tongues? Okay. All right. Yeah, when we say the charismata, when we say the gifts of the Spirit, often people will go to chapter 12 and chapter 14 of Corinthians where we have these miraculous gifts, and that's what the charismata often means. And we have all these kind of gifts that seem very healing and all of these miraculous gifts, and that's what we often mean, right? And these gifts are very helpful to us. And some people will say that unless you're practicing these things, you're not truly acting in the power of the Holy Spirit. But that's also an error, and here's why. All of these errors come because of lack of biblical, theological, and historical understanding and training. And it's helpful to apply all of ourselves in these areas. But this is also why we look to the teachers of the church and the authority of the church, even though all of these people can be imperfect. But why do I say this? Look, operating in the power of the Holy Spirit and not in our own power is key to the Christian life. You have to learn as a Christian you need to learn, excuse me, you need to learn to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just fundamentally necessary to growing in the Christian life. If you can't do that, you're never going to grow beyond a certain point. You just, if you're going to stay, um, you're going to struggle in that faith. Now, I understand this. Look, when I say operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, when I say growing in the power of the Holy Spirit, I know that instantly there's a reaction among some folks because I hear it all the time at home or here if you're watching. And it comes like this. There's always a fear, and I get this question all the time or I get this comment all the time. Jeff, I am afraid that somebody, somebody's going to stand up, some charismatic somewhere is going to come up to me and say, "Uh, uh, Jeff, the Lord told me to tell you X, right? How many of you have had that fear, right? We've got that fear. You've had that fear. You've had that fear. A lot of people have had that fear. I get told that all the time. At seminary, I heard it all the time. Hear it all the time. I'll never forget the first time I dealt with, well, not the first time I dealt with this, but one of the first things I was dealing with, when I was at St. Clement's Episcopal Church, when I was, so I've been in some really solid churches, evangelical and charismatic in St. Clement's Church, I was a youth leader and I was on staff. I'd been there for a while. One of my favorite bishops, Bishop Terrence Kelshaw, had been down there and he was, uh, he was talking to me for a little while. He'd been teaching me that afternoon and he was running this big kind of conference. So St. Clement's was the pro-cathedral church, which means secondary church. It was this massive church with a thousand parishioners. But when he would teach in the southern part of that whole diocese, which is a massive diocese, all these people would come when he would teach. So this was a big event. And he had just finished teaching me, Jeff. He said, always be cautious. When a person comes up and tells you, the Lord told me to tell you X. 
He said, overwhelmingly, the next thing that comes out of their mouth is the thing that they want and not what the Lord wants. Almost always. I remember this statement because the Lord had something for me that day because not 15 seconds later did a lady that I know who had been over to their house for dinner with my wife who was um, in the charismatic camp comes up and says, Bishop, the Lord told me to tell you that I'm supposed to lead worship this Sunday. Or no, today, sorry, at the service. And he went, and I was like, whoa. And she did. And she led worship. He put her up there. He wasn't going to question at that moment. Probably to teach me, because he stared at me while she played. And it was awful. It was abysmal. She bombed in every way possible. Now, it was clear after that that she had the goal to be up there. She didn't want to work on her music with the music team or anything else. She was just trying to bypass everyone else. It was a great lesson for me. The Lord told me to tell you. What I've learned through the years is that ordinarily the Lord speaks to you and confirms it through others. Rarely will he speak to others, but when he does, he will confirm it in you. So if the Lord says through somebody else, the Lord told me to tell you, it will be confirmed in you. You don't need to worry about the Lord telling someone else something to tell you because you're a grown Christian. The Lord will confirm it in you. You just pray. More often than not, in my life, I've been led for a thing or to a thing, and the Lord has brought three or four people, and they've had something for me that have confirmed the thing that I was already praying in. Right? And typically, it's come along the lines of, you know what, Jeff? I don't really, I've been praying on this. The Lord's been guiding. I'm not sure. I just want to. And they usually come in great humility. The one who doesn't come in great humility is usually the one I'm worried about. But the Lord has spoken through them. It was clear because it was confirmed in my heart. And then a person who didn't know them also had something. And then a person far away also had something. And it was the same thing by three different people. The Lord does work in these ways. You also need to understand that operating in the power of the Holy Spirit does not mean that you wait every minute or hour or day for instructions from the Holy Spirit on what to do or how to act. You might in very specific circumstances, but what it means is that you're growing in the power of the Lord and you're learning to pray and to listen to Him and for His guidance. And as you grow and mature in the Lord, and as you learn to walk in his ways, he's not going to be directing you every second or every day. But when you get that direction, you're going to steer in that path. And as you've learned to walk in him, identify his ways, you're going to be in sync. And usually with more mature leaders and more mature people in the faith, they're going to keep going until the Lord says otherwise. You don't need direction at every moment. I don't need to know what color shirt to put on in the morning. But I do need direction and guidance from the Lord. 
Normally, a new believer is going to need to hear from the Lord more than one who walks longer. And this is why our leaders, our elders, are carefully chosen by the church because they have and they learn to move in sync with the Lord with wisdom and with maturity. And the Lord will instruct you and he will teach you and he will train you. It doesn't mean walking with the Spirit does not mean that there are daily miracles, but it also doesn't mean that the gifts of the Spirit aren't active. We are all given gifts when you let the Spirit work through you. But everybody is so stoked about Corinthians 12 and 14 that they often forget what Paul is teaching in Corinthians 13, love. But also, what Wayne just astutely pointed out, there are lots of gifts of the Holy Spirit that are pointed out that nobody wants to remember because they're not as exciting. The gift of hospitality, the gift of administration, the gift of preaching are all gifts and all operated by the Holy Spirit. But they don't seem on the outside to be as sexy. They don't seem to be as miraculous. Everyone craves or debates or forgets or or wants those lists, but they don't want the other ones. So, for instance, think about this. Preaching is a function of the Holy Spirit. People can preach without Him, but ordinarily a godly pastor preaches with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is why the same exact sermon is heard by 50 or 100 or 1,000 parishioners, and even parishioners from the same family will hear it, and they'll all receive it in different ways, and the Lord will work within them in different ways, and the Lord will cause and move within them in different ways. Sometimes right after that sermon, sometimes sermons will build up and build up until a dam breaks or something happens in their life. Sometimes those sermons will sync with something that happens in your week. This is how people come to Jesus and families are restored and lives are changed, not by us, but by God working. It's a spiritual gift and people don't imagine it that way, but the Holy Spirit works in so many different gifts. So whatever your gifts are, you need to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to work in those gifts. You need to pray for God to release the power of the Holy Spirit in you and to operate in the power of the Spirit and not in your power. That's what Hobbes is talking about. Flip on the switch. Let the electricity run through you. Operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And to do that simply requires this. That you ask Him. In your life, do you sense the Holy Spirit at work? Do you sense the leading of the Spirit? Do you practice the gifts of the Spirit? If you don't, I encourage you to meet with the prayer team during communion for prayer on this topic. Or come to me after the service or this week to discuss it. Amen.